behaviors and all then the times you did the that. Beha- <laughs> yeah all the times that i ignore my children um, <laughs> and then i'm like what do you mean you feel alone yeah. get over it <laughs> get over it what's wrong with you Hey, ladies, and welcome back to Herspective, and welcome to February, where we are. It is like a crazy blizzard right now. (laughs) I was like, did you forget that it's like late February? (laughs) Oh, yes, I did forget. (laughs) Oh, okay. So, yeah, well, welcome to February if you're like late to the game like Lauren. (laughs) Yeah, but it hasn't been the snowy at all yet. It's crazy how much snow is out there. Well, actually, I was just saying that I think I brought all the snow to St. Catharines because typically down here they don't get a lot of snow like we do in Toronto. But we've had so much snow, you know, for for weeks and months, I think, at this point. It, it just feels so snowy. So I think I brought it down with me, which I everyone who knows me knows that I love the winter, but everyone else in the world hates it, so... Sorry. <laughs> Sorry for that. You know what? I, I like it when it is fully snowy like this. I hate the in-between. I hate the slush. I hate the rain. Like, I just – I or that bitter, bitter cold. Like, at least when there yeah. is a ton of snow, there's something to do. You can play outside or it's really pretty. You can go for yeah, walks. it's gorgeous. It's very peaceful and, like, tranquil feeling for me. So that, as someone who hates winter and being cold, this is the only point in winter that I actually find enjoyable. Yeah, when it's snowed and though it's like really bright at nighttime and, and it's just like reflecting off and it's really bright, but it's so silent and nobody is out. That feeling of peace is like, oh, my God, I fucking love that. And then I just love the snow. It's so fun. Even if it's like a snow day and you can't go outside, it's like, oh, it's I don't know. It's like I'm dramatic, I guess. It's just like something else dramatic that I can do. <laughs> <laughs> with my life. But you're a winter baby, so yeah. you you like winter. You like yeah. that whole I don't mind. I don't season. I don't think like being cold. Because you love Christmas too. Yeah. All of it. I love it. I just you know, everyone's like, Oh, I hate the cold. It's just like wear a fucking hat. Like just don't be cold. Just, just a hat. <laughs> <laughs> wear just that. But then again, I was also talking to my boyfriend about this and we were walking to the car and this man literally I, I didn't even put a coat on yesterday so winter like now and he is wearing uh, like a he brought a separate hat because he had to wear his like winter hat to get to the car and gloves and all this stuff I'm like we're just running to the car he's like it's freezing it's winter I'm like oh my god I won't even wear a, a coat like I don't I think I my blood runs hot or something I don't know like it's not that cold no, <laughs> I am the same. I'd be in like a full parka, yeah. like everything. I, I'm always cold. I'm freezing. And that's why I hate winter because it feels like I can never get warm. So like the visually winter, I don't mind. Like I said, when it's nice and snowy, I, I don't mind that. And it's so pretty. But my body just doesn't function in winter. Like I'm a summer baby. I'm meant to be in a hot climate. Like I probably shouldn't have been born in Canada. I should have been born in the Mediterranean or something like where it's always warm because I just, I just don't do well in this season. (laughs) You're like a frog. Okay. I'm a lizard. (laughs) Hear me out. No, there's this actual frog. I was watching a nature show on Netflix and this frog gets really cold and literally freezes and essentially dies. (laughs) (laughs) 
my god <laughs> and in the like over the winter night and then that in the sun like in the morning a... it dethaws and its heart starts beating again so you're, basically you're that frog <laughs> that seems like a poorly designed creature mother Why? nature he like just what doesn't have to do anything just dies every night dies. Yeah. comes back to life exactly that's how he survives he doesn't have to make a shelter he doesn't have to like cryogenically frozen every single night every single (laughs) night i don't know how this little guy ages i guess he only ages in the summer but yeah no oh my god that doesn't have to deal he's like i'm not dealing so well i don't die daily but (laughs) i feel like it sometimes when i'm so cold and my hands and feet just like will not warm up and i'm like shoving them like in my husband's like armpits and stuff oh I'm all like, of their i cracks? just need warmth yes I know, all I of their the cracks. cracks are so warm <laughs> they are so warm and i <laughs> so like gross. i don't know why they put up with us because that i would be like get the fuck your cold if you get off me your a yeah. foot i hate feet as we know you're cold dry ass yeah <laughs> sharp toenailed foot anywhere in any crevice of my body i am going to lose my mind i know that I is my nightmare agree. but keep we have your, no problem with it <laughs> keep your like feet and cold hands anything cold don't touch me with i know your why coldness. is it on me deal with it yourself yeah get a blanket <laughs> but if i need it accept it and love it well of course that's i couldn't sleep without it i need it <laughs> how i stay warm (laughs) (laughs) um well i i hope our listeners enjoyed our weather report and um, i'm sure they can all preferences (laughs) yeah for sure tell us if you're a crevice like stuffer stuffer yeah stuffer yeah (laughs) let us know that sounds way worse than it is if you're just tuning in for this moment (laughs) listen back it's not what you think are you a crevice stuffer (laughs) i stuff we didn't say orifice yeah, ew, orifices is, orifice is holes. Yeah, I know. Crevices are cracks. <laughs> Anyways. Like pockets. Let's thank our sponsor. Moving yes. on to more important things. <laughs> thank you to our sponsor, VitalityMD. Do not forget to use promo code HERSPECTIVE100 at VitalityMD.com to book the O-Shot or the Vivive treatments. So don't forget that's promo code HERSPECTIVE100 amazing we have a awesome episode today we have been chatting a lot about covid and coping and the side effects on mental and physical wellness and we've touched on how it's affecting children a little bit too uh but this episode we really deep dive into that we're talking with Kayla Marquez, who is a clinical therapist and social worker in children's mental health and she specializes in in children ages 6 to 12, but she talks to us about all sorts of different um, mental health issues and signs and coping mechanisms and just gives us a lot of tips on, you know, what to look for, how to handle it, and offers some really great perspectives also. Yeah, Um, you guys gave us a lot of good questions, and we asked, and she answered, and it was just really, really informative. Yeah, she talks about ways to kind of check your child to see if you're noticing some of these characteristics or changes that they may be having, and then what to do about it. So she's a great resource, and um, we provide 
where you can access more information about any of these kinds of conditions and, you know, how to get help uh, or if you just have questions. But yeah, we tried to answer all of the questions that you guys sent in. Um, But Kayla isn't a doctor of (laughs) mental health, in fairness. Uh, But just through her experiences, she was able to give us a lot of information that I personally as a parent found helpful. And I think you guys will too. Yeah. Yeah. So without further ado, we're really excited to welcome Kayla to the show. Welcome, Kayla. Thank you so much for joining us. We are very excited to talk to you about mental health in children today because it's a big one, especially right now. I mean, always, but yeah, definitely for sure, for sure. on yeah. everybody's always mind a, right a now. a priority. Yeah. <laughs> Um, Yeah, no, I think it's always something that we want to keep top of mind. Um, I think it's something that some parents, I think, are still trying to get the lay the land of and kind of get comfortable with because, you know, mental health in general has such a stigma still attached to it. And then I think with parents coming into it, they also kind of have the stigma of like, oh, no, what about if my child needs support or does that mean something's wrong with them? Are they broken? So, yeah, I think it's definitely something that needs to be more at the forefront. But with COVID, I think it's definitely kind of stepped up a little bit. Um, everybody's feeling it a little more. And I think with COVID, we're presented with issues that we probably weren't really seeing before mm-hmm. in terms of the isolation in children and uh, well, and adults, I can vouch for that. It's crazy. Like, yeah. we're cooped up like yeah. this. Yeah, we all can. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And I think also situations that not only have we not seen, but wouldn't be prepared for. Like, yeah. you know, you know, most parents aren't conditioned or trained or yeah. anything. We're, you know, I hate, I, I don't want to use the word regular and normal. And that's why I'm like kind of Mm -hmm. tripping on my words but for lack of better words like the regular normal everyday parent that Mm -hmm. that has children you know if something changes with them mentally that's kind of scary yeah um which we're definitely going to get into but first tell us a bit about yourself tell our tell our listeners who you are and uh, what you do (laughs) sure so yeah my name is Kayla thanks Lauren for introducing me Um, I work in children's mental health, so we service um, all of York Region. We have an area in Durham, Simcoe, Peterborough. Um, We have kind of different arms, per se. So we have a children's mental health area. We have a youth justice. We have autism. Um, And I work in a program called the SNAP program. So it's very specific what we do, and I work with kids from 6 to 12 uh, who have emotional regulation and aggression issues and their family. So we don't actually service the child unless we also service the parent as well. Um, And ours is a group-based program. And then if we think that, like, the treatment plan calls for, I should say, um, individual therapy, we'll do that, family, parent. Yeah, so that's kind of what I do and where I'm at right now. That's amazing. And I love how you said that you treat the family unit as one because Mm -hmm. obviously I think that is super important. You know, kids Mm -hmm. – and actually, I would ask you this. Like, kids learn a lot of, like, the issues that they have, right? Like, we would say that versus they're just born like that. Yeah. I know that that's kind of like an existential question, but is that something – is that kind of like the mentality you face things with? 
Yeah, I mean, I think Lauren said it perfectly, like, learned behavior. Like, as parents, you are your child's biggest and most important role model. So what they grow up seeing, what they grow up hearing, what they grow up as, like, their norm is what they're going to think is the way to express themselves or the way to communicate. And so a lot of the time, like, parents have this idea, like, okay, here's my kid, like, fix it. Like, and that's the misconception of it. It's like, one, your kid's not broken, mm-hmm. so we don't need to fix them, but we need to give you the strategy so that you can better support them and they can better support themselves. But it's not just on a child. Like, a child is never going to surpass their parent. So right. we can't just see one and not see the other. I mean, there are treatments for sure where your child can just go individually, um, but with our program, we do focus on the parent and the child. So I love that you said that there's a misconception about a child being quote unquote broken and that they mm-hmm. need to be fixed, that this is mm-hmm. just like a one time thing. They go to therapy, they chat with you, they come out a new child. Mm-hmm. That's not the case. It's obviously an ongoing no. process and, and maybe lifelong for some children and families. Yeah, like it really depends. Like every service is different. Every child's different. Every client is different. Parents different. So like, for instance, my program, we're considered like a briefer um, period. So we're intensive for three months where some programs, yeah, you can be attached to like a private practice therapist for your whole life or for until you like maybe become an adult and want to switch it up. Um, But it's definitely like I said, it's not like one time, here you go, let's talk, we're done. Like it, it can be briefer services depending, but a lot of the time, yeah, like it's, it's health, right? Like, it's just like, if you had a broken leg, you wouldn't just be like, okay, I'm doing one mm. physio and my leg's better. Like yeah. your, your brain, your emotions, your mental health is the exact same way. It's not just like, okay, here's one session. Like, oh, I'm cured or I'm better. Like there's no, there's no quick fix to mental health, right? It, it's hard work and it's, and it's long-term work. And that's something that for some reason is still so, well, not just stigmatized, but people are so ignorant about it. Like, like you compared it to a physical ailment. If you broke your leg, nobody would expect you to be like walking or running on it like tomorrow or that, you know Mm -hmm. what I mean? But Mm -hmm. I think that a lot of people and like myself included would never feel comfortable or it's just like not part of the norm, part of our language, part of how we deal th- deal with things to be like, you know what, I'm having like a, a mental health day, I'm, I'm sick in my head type thing and need the day off or need something like speaking for your needs for that. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. why the hell is that? Like, how can we still <laughs> be there? I know it, it honestly it boggles my mind and even when we're working with clients like I'll say to them like you know if you need a letter or if you need me to like t- talk to your work like I'm happy to do that but yeah like your mental health is health like your brain and your emotions and your your mental health like it is a huge part of your functioning so if you're not okay you know coping well or being able to express your emotions in a healthy way like it is physically going to take a toll on you and it's going to change your physical health but I think it's yeah. again it's attached to that stigma of, you know, there's something wrong with you or, you know, back in the day, like you're crazy if something wasn't right. And it's really trying to break down those barriers and break down those walls for parents and for kids, because there are some kids that don't want to come because they feel like, you know, they might be in trouble or, you know, there's something wrong with them. Like my friends don't have to come talk to someone, but it's because of what they've been taught and what they've been told about it. Right. And that's really interesting too, though, because I think we're still living, and this is kind of on what you said, Jess, we're still living in this belief that like if you have a mental illness or you're having like a a mental breakdown kind of a day that you like just to get over it, like 
you know like yeah. when someone's like well yeah. i'm just like not feeling great i'm just kind of mm-hmm. like sad or i'm just blah like whatever the emotion or the feeling may be oftentimes someone will say we'll just get over it or like oh just do this or go do mm-hmm. that and it's like that might work sometimes for sure mm-hmm. and we've all been there where we're just like you know what? i just need a day to just be on my own which mm-hmm. do you need to do you need to take a day off work for that do you need a doctor's note for that no not necessarily but there's days and there's individuals that it's much much greater than that and it isn't a just get over it situation and I think parents do that to their kids and I've probably done that to my own children more than once and then Mm -hmm. after been like oh maybe Mm -hmm. it isn't just like he's moody today like maybe there is something bothering him and I will go back and sit down with them and say like hey bud like is something up like are you okay did something happen because I've been kind of preconditioned to do the like, okay, you're all right, move on. Yeah. Like, don't don't bring people down with your moods. And not that like my family or anything did that, but yeah, you kind of just didn't air your mm-hmm. issues, and you kind of kept them to yourself. And yeah. we're also taught to like on you be end. grateful <laughs> and you know like toughen up a bit. Like you can't just sit there and yeah. cry over shit all the time. You know what I mean? Like. I- for some reason I feel like that's like a mentality I shared too like were we raised that way or is that like mm-hmm. is that how society we kind of yeah like you can't you gotta man up like even though we're women mm-hmm. you, you can't just let you can't cry over spilt milk mentality I think mm-hmm. is what we always had but I don't think that acknowledges some things okay so then this is the fine line like do we are we supposed to acknowledge every single little mood every single little what if they're being bratty what if they're pushing limits what if they're testing boundaries how do you know mm-hmm. when to when to acknowledge? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. Like, I think there's – so as parents, for sure, like, you know your child best. You know them inside out. You're with them all the time. You're going to be their biggest advocate. So I think if you're noting, like, sign- noticing significant differences, like, start writing them down. So if you're like, okay, you know, today, like, that was a big behavior. He hasn't really done that. Jot it down. And then if you see it again the next day, jot it down. And then it's when you start seeing different pat, like, the pattern of that behavior, that's when you might be like, okay, you know what? This isn't just he didn't get his Nintendo, or if they still use Nintendo, or he didn't get, you know, this electronic, or he was mad because his brother took this or whatever. And then when you do decide when you're ready, or you feel like, you know, this is the right time to go seek professional counseling or help, then you have this detailed list of like, okay, this is when it happened. This is how often it's happened. This is what happened. This is what I noticed, how long it lasted for. And then you're not going and being like, oh, wait, what happened again? Like, I can't remember and then whoever you're speaking to whether it be a doctor psychologist psychiatrist whoever it may be then they're going to have a better understanding of what you're dealing with I mean we always talk to our parents about you know ignoring the negative attention seeking behavior and I think that's a big one with parents it's super hard to ignore when your kid's just like yelling or you know doing something that they don't want to do so I think it's the difference between that it's like okay is this, you know, is he just trying to get my attention and or is she or they trying to get my attention in the wrong way or is this a bigger behavior and is am I seeing a pattern now? Right. Is that kind right. of, yeah. That's interesting too because that is a very fine line to walk because you do want to not give in to a child's like every demand. But at the same time, sometimes those 
reactions or behaviors or emotions are because they're just developing. Like they're mm-hmm. figuring things out. They they need to kind of go through those motions. They need to have their screaming fit. They need to have their tantrums or just to be crazy silly sometimes. Like that's all part of growing and changing and learning. So this was actually – so we, we pulled – our um, Instagram followers to see if anybody had questions that they'd like to ask you. And that was one of the ones that came up a lot is like, what are some of the behaviors to look for? Like, how do you know if your child may have a mental illness? I mean, that's such a broad general question, but is there like (laughs) little things that you could pinpoint? I mean, it's so hard because every, you know, disorder diagnoses has different signs. So like the sign for depression or anxiety, OCD or ADHD, like they're, they're all going to have different things you're looking for because they're different um, disorders. I mean, so what I would suggest is like I just said, like start noting down the diff- the behavior that you're seeing that seems to be out of character, whether it be, you know, are they withdrawing from things that, you know, they, they used to enjoy friends, family activities. Are you seeing really big changes in their moods? You know, are they, becoming a lot more irritable or are they seeing a lot more down or, you know, are they super hyperactive and really hard to focus and this is in a constant way? Are they becoming more aggressive, you know, whether it be verbal aggression, um, physical destructiveness. So it's like noting the differences in the behaviors that you might be seeing and then seeing how often they're occurring. You know, if it happens once then like, you know, it could have just been a hard day, but if you're seeing that it's happening daily or weekly or a couple times a week and it's lasting, you know, five, 10, 15, 20 minutes and they're, they're, they're being set off more often than they used to be, that's when you might start noticing a pattern being like, okay, this isn't just like a one-off. This seems to be like a pattern I'm seeing. That's kind of like operating um, on the basis of a change, right? So what about, mm-hmm. and I know your specialty is six years old, but what about younger? Like, how do you know, what if you like, what if the baby is like born a psychopath or something like that? Like, how do you note those changes? Because- you don't have anything to reference it to if it's so young. Yeah. I mean, a lot of the time, like parents will say they noticed the onset, like prior to the age of six. And again, I think it's just that they started noticing, um, a larger change in behavior. Like, so I think as a parent, like, again, you're with your child in those infant years a lot, um, for the most part. So you can still notice whether or not, okay, like they seem a lot more, um, irritable or they seem a lot more aggressive than what, you know, quote unquote, your average, toddler might be doing so again there's no exact okay. like answer I can't really give like I know that's you know like look hard. for this this and this <laughs> because for each yeah yeah because for each diagnosis like it's going to be different yeah. like what you're going to see in anxiety as signs and depression as signs and ADHD are going to be different so I think um, like use your judgment if something seems off like if you're questioning something then go ask somebody maybe somebody like you who would know mm-hmm. like childhood developmental you know mm-hmm milestones and things like that to see like what's normal again on quotes and then you could maybe get an idea yeah I mean I think a lot of parents like pediatricians are great for that as well like I know most parents consult their pediatricians um for those kind of beginner things and then they're great at referring out like if they think you know maybe you should talk to someone or you need some additional consultations like they'll do that because yeah they are still developing so much so it's also we want to be careful about like labeling or putting a diagnosis on a child so young because they are still learning and they can develop or grow out of certain things so a lot of like psychologists psychiatrists who would be doing the diagnosing are very cautious to diagnose under the age of six and for other and for other disorders it's even older than that 
So yeah, it's kind of a fine line there. That's a tricky one too, because we're in a society for some reason, and I don't really know when this started. Maybe it's always been like this. I don't think so because in talking to my parents, like it just wasn't a thing. But like the whole ADHD, ADD um, spectrum, right? Mm-hmm. There, It seems like in the last, I don't know, 20 years that that kind of like really sprouted up. And now every kid has ADHD or ADD or um, I think ODD is one of the ones you mentioned, which is the defiance disorder. And is this just because a lot of people in society and and I'm speaking from about like uh western culture because that's what I know and that's what I live in um but are we just like not patient maybe (laughs) and we just want everyone to fit nicely in this little box and if you don't fit in the box then there's obviously something wrong with you and you need to be on medication you need to seek help and there's something wrong with that child because I for me as a mom to two boys boys tend to be wild and crazy and energetic and they're not going to just chill because I want them to. Like <laughs> mm-hmm. my brother didn't. Jess, you have mm-hmm. a younger brother. I feel like uh, Ryan was He never crazy. stopped talking or moving. <laughs> Even to this day, yeah. it's like, holy fuck, you were annoying. <laughs> but yeah. also, does that did that align with the emergence of pharmaceuticals as well? Because I have a theory that I learned in university, one of my very first class in university, my very first psych class, um, my <laughs> professor was like, just so you know, like 95% of psychiatrists are have, like are in the pockets of pharmaceutical companies, so or vice versa, however that saying is. So keep out for that. So is that part of it too? I mean, I, I can't speak to the pharmaceutical part of it and who's in whose pockets at all. Um, okay. I, so going back to the ADHD thing though, it is an actual diagnosable disorder. So you do have to meet certain criteria. There are certain things that have to be present. It is an actual, um, something in the brain with the neurons and that they are actually firing in a different way. So to say that every child is just, you know, like, is there too much diagnoses? They do have to meet the criteria of the diagnosis, just like they would for anxiety, just like they have to work for depression, OCD, all those different things. Um, I, I, growing up, I also feel like I heard that all the time. Like everybody has ADHD, everybody has ADD. Um, again, I think a lot of that comes from also, is it being diagnosed too early? Is it being diagnosed too late? Like kids can grow out of it. So I think a lot of people also self-diagnose, you know, they don't actually necessarily have the diagnosis, but like, oh, my kid is so hyper. He's for sure ADHD or she's for sure ADD. Um, So, I mean, I think there's a fine line. I think doctors hopefully are following and do follow the proper ways in which to diagnose this this disorder. So it's it's hard to say whether or not it is overdiagnosed or not. Um, Again, I'm not a doctor, so I don't make those diagnoses or a psychiatrist or psychologist, but you can only hope that hopefully they are being assigned in the proper way and to the right kids. As for medication, again, I think this is a huge debate between so many people and so many parents come to me like, what would you do? And I'm like, oh, I'm not going to tell you what to do. Um, (laughs) But it is, it's a huge thing because a lot of parents don't want their kids medicated. But on the flip side, the medication does actually pinpoint that focus part. And that is why we go on the medication so that your child is better able to focus. So it, it's so hard. Like, it's a really good yeah. some, some tough questions. <laughs> that That is, and we knew that would be a tough one because, and we really don't know like anything about it, right? Yeah. Other than you just like either knew someone growing up or a couple people or maybe there's someone in your family. Um, 
And I have a nephew that has been diagnosed with it. And I, I do wonder, though, if there are times that maybe those that are diagnosing are kind of doing like a quick diagnosis or sort of like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I, it, again, just hearing things in mm-hmm. society and in, from different people's experiences, uh, parents, that they feel pressure from teachers. Now, I'm not, mm-hmm. again, not generalizing, obviously not all teachers, and I can't even imagine what it would be like to have like a 25-kid classroom. Oh, my <laughs> God. A like, special that's kind a of person. <laughs> that's a special yeah. kind of person. We love our teachers. Yeah. Um, and like I said, I'm hoping that maybe in the last like little while that that has changed where there is that criteria and it's being followed. But maybe when we were growing up, it was a little more lax where it was like, Mm -hmm. oh God, they're like an annoying kid in the class. They get a little pressure from the teachers. The parents get all freaked out. And next thing you know, they're on ADD or ADHD medication. And maybe they needed Mm -hmm. it. Maybe they don't. We're not, and that's not, we're not trying to go down that rabbit hole, but I think, I think what parents are so nervous about is just like, because it's thrown, yeah, it's thrown around so much. Like you see a kid that's kind of wilding out in the playground and like, oh, I got ADHD or that kid comes over to your house and they're bouncing off the walls and your kid doesn't do that. So now it's like, oh, you've got the bad, like they have the bad kid or the crazy Mm -hmm. kid. And that's, Mm -hmm. that's like a scary thing for parents, right? Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think I think it also goes back to that whole idea of stigmatizing, though, because right. there's nothing wrong with having ADHD. There's nothing wrong with having anxiety or, you know, struggling with depression. Um, the point is, like, you get the strategies, you get the skills to help support you so that you can live a healthier, more positive lifestyle. But again, I think that comes back to that. Why, are, why is it a bad thing if your child does have ADHD? Why is it a bad thing if your child does have to go seek, you know, support from a counselor or a psychiatrist, psychologist, whoever it may be? And I think that's a bigger issue. I mean, the medication, again, like I said, set aside, that's a personal preference. Every parent mm-hmm. and family is going to have to make that. But yeah, I think I think it's still a hard thing for parents, kids, people alike to grapple with a label of a mental health disorder because of what was put around that for so long and how negative it was for so long. And, st- and still we are battling with that where it's not seen as like a normal, okay thing. It's it's even like, oh, I'm, I'm talking to someone. It's like, oh, don't, don't tell certain people. Like, I don't mm. want everyone to know I go and I talk to a therapist when there's nothing wrong with that. It is. No. That is so true, right? Like, why does mental illness equate to wrong, bad, like this negative <laughs> yeah. feeling? And in reality, it should be celebrated that we're recognizing, whether it's an adult or a child, struggling with something and we're seeking help for them as a parent. That's my job. My one job is to do everything mm-hmm. I can to make sure my child is well taken care of, healthy, and given whatever they need to feel good and survive. And and yet it is this like so heavily stigmatized thing that like as parents, you, you are afraid of that. And I have friends that have kids that they just learned are on the spectrum for autism and even that, when they've told um, our like the group of friends as peers, it's you hear it in the voice like, "Oh, well, yeah, they're they're on the spectrum." Like it's it immediately changes the tone. Like it is something that we're all aware of and we all know isn't their child's fault. You said it should be celebrated, and that's like obviously best case scenario. What I would aim or hope to aim for is it for it to be neutral. Like it should just be a very neutral thing. Cause like if you told me like, Oh, I got the flu or, Oh, I, you know, I got 
I don't mono. I don't know. I can't even think of an illness right now. COVID. <laughs> COVID? Whatever. Yeah, yeah. COVID. <laughs> I would never be like, oh, you know, she got fucking sick. Like, oh, God. Like, it, it's just such a neutral thing. It'd be like, oh, shit. Sorry for you. I hope you get better. Bye. Mm-hmm. Like, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's not a judgment thing in the very least. So it's like, it's weird that this is. But, like, it's shocking that it's It's almost shameful, right? It's because historically, and and I'm sure you know all about this, obviously, it was considered something so taboo. But then again, let's look at how they thought of, like, menstruation historically. Women were considered hysterical. You know what I mean? So, like, how how that has still – and I guess there's still shame and taboo about our periods, too. So – here we are, right? <laughs> I was like, why are we, we... We move slowly. Yeah, we're still moving slowly with that as well, unfortunately. Yeah, slowly. <laughs> it's no, a, it's true. It's and like, strange. Yeah, and like, we try to tell parents all the time, like, there's, like, we don't want your child to come in and feel like there's something wrong with them or they've done something bad because then a child's not going to want to come, right? And so we try to tell them, like, use the language of, like, you know, we're just going to go talk to someone so that they can support you and, like, you can feel comfortable talking to them. Like, you don't have to worry about, like, getting in trouble or, you know, feeling judgment because a lot of the time when kids do talk to parents, they might be scared to share certain things because it could get them in trouble or, you know, oh, my gosh, my mom or dad's going to look at me differently or grandma's not going to think of me the same way where when you come to talk to a therapist, you know, there's that there's no bias in that sense so it is a safe place so I think it's also about the language like again Mm -hmm. kids are sponges to their parents they're sponges to their teachers they're sponges Mm -hmm. to the people around them so what they hear is how they're going to form their opinions and their thoughts for for a long while so how should parents talk to their children about it and talk about it like what is like therapy in general well yeah like say you know the parent has been tracking the child's mm-hmm. behaviors and doing that list and kind of going mm-hmm. okay this is this is a little different and out of character for my son or my daughter and then recognizing that maybe this is a situation that they need treatment for or mm-hmm. support for how do they approach that because you know I can't imagine going up to my almost six-year-old and saying that to him he would just kind of like either just look at me and be like okay whatever not <laughs> comprehending what yeah. I'm talking about yeah or feel very like upset and worried. I know my my older son would get very like freaked out by it and feel like he is there is something wrong with him. And we haven't put that in his head, but for some reason I just know how he is and he's so mm-hmm. sensitive, he would feel very ashamed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think be as honest as you can, like, you know, like when you're talking to them, like, you know, if notice like you know, you've seemed really down lately or, you know, like, have you noticed that you've been having some really big emotions? And like, yeah, I didn't have noticed that. Or yeah, you're getting really mad. And so, you know, we're just going to go, we're going to go talk to X, Y, and Z, you know, whichever lady, man it is, just, just to kind of see if she can offer us any help or just for you to talk to her and see if you want to share with her, you know, like we don't need to make us like a big, scary person. Like, you know, they're just coming. And oftentimes the very first um, assessment or the very first time the the therapist is meeting the child, that's language that they're going to use. Like they'll, they'll ask, like, do you know why you're here? How have you been feeling? And then they'll kind of just say, you know, I just want to kind of talk. I just want to get to know you. Like we'll just play some games depending on the age of the child. We'll get to know each other. We'll see where you're at and go from there. I just, it doesn't need to be this big, scary place they're going to, you know, just like when they're going to school for the first day, if it's a new school, you know, we're going to go to a new school. We're going to, you're going to meet a new teacher. You're going to make some new friends. Like you're going to go meet this lady and she's just going to talk to you a little bit about what you've been feeling because chances are they're going to know what you're talking about when you say that. Like they're going to like, oh yeah, like I have been down or I have been, 
you know. That was going to be my next question. Are they mm-hmm. are they aware? Uh, like from a six year old, they seem so young. Like, are they aware that yeah they're going through something? Yeah, are they aware of maybe anxiety mm-hmm. or depression? Because that mm-hmm. will help lead into another question that we're, yeah. we've gotten from <laughs> some of our followers is like, how do you know if your kid has depression? How do you know if your kid has anxiety? And yeah. what do you do about it? Like, what is the starting point? Yeah. Love these questions. <laughs> um, we're, we're not like having a relaxing night tonight. It's like putting you to work. <laughs> We're like, I'm like earlier in the in the conversation, I'm like, this isn't a test. It's a test, Kayla. It's a test. Yeah, honestly. Yeah. No, I think I think first and foremost, like people have to understand like there's no quick fix. So this isn't like there's one thing you need to look for, there's one thing you need to go do, there's one like it's not a band-aid for everything. Every kid is gonna be different, every person is gonna be different. Um signs, there's like like I said before, there's different signs for everything. So Anxiety, can you give some examples? Sure, yeah. So oftentimes for anxiety, like a six-year-old probably doesn't know when they're feeling worried yet or they don't know when they're feeling scared. They're probably feeling, the emotions they probably know at that age is probably like happy, sad, mad, maybe frustration, Um, you know, so they might be putting everything out there and displaying their emotions as anger. And a lot of the times that's what we see. We see anxiety, worry, fear coming through as anger. So, yeah, that's going to be hard for a six-year-old to be like, so, you know, are you having anxious thoughts? They're going to be like, I have no idea what you're talking about, mom. Like, like what do you anxious? mean? Yeah. yeah. So you can, so what we try to do is we try to kind of start labeling like body cues. So it's like, okay, are you getting like butterflies in your tummy? Or, you know, is it starting to hurt your stomach? Or are you getting like really hot? Or, you know, and we try to get them to be able to start associating things that they're feeling with that feeling. So what's happening in their body. Um anxiety like yeah you're gonna look for things like are they becoming a lot more worried um about like lots of things so are they you know really scared to turn the lights off do they not want to leave your side are they having a hard time detaching from you things like that can be with anxiety um are you seeing a lot more negative anxious thoughts so is it a lot more like oh my god like the world is gonna end or you know everything's everything's the never the always like a lot of those more negative thoughts might be coming out again every child is different there's different types of anxiety as well right like you can have separation anxiety you can have generalized anxiety so there it I can't give just like a one answer to that um but I think just looking at those signs and then if you are starting to see it like label it for them help them out you know if you're seeing that they're getting like super red in the face and they kind of have that like stunned look on the face like label like you know what I'm noticing like you look like you're getting really hot and you're, you're, you're right in the face. Are you feeling scared about what we're about to do? Or what are you thinking right now? And then that can prompt them to be like, yeah, mom, I am scared. Or, you know, I'm thinking that I don't, I don't want to do that. And then you can be like, okay, well, why don't you want to do that? And that could prompt more because at such a young age at six, yeah, they, they probably need that support where a 10 year old might be able to be like, no, I'm scared or I don't want to, and I'm not gonna. And then you can go from there. Well, that's helpful, I think. I think people will yeah. be able to, like, recognize those things in their children and help, Easier. you know, yeah, help them articulate themselves. Because, you know, I'm an adult. I have anxiety. I have a hard time articulating it myself. Um, mm-hmm. Even when I'm thinking about this, I'm, I was, I'm thinking about the kind of language I would use to describe these things. I'm like, I don't even fucking know what I would say as an adult. So <laughs> these poor kids, yeah. like, it's hard enough sometimes. But I think it's good if we're, like, on the lookout for these things for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's yeah. a, a, those are 
good signs to look for, especially because in this day and age that we're living in too, I'm not saying that people are not, you know, aware and parents aren't attentive, um, but we are a little bit unattached and unaware because we're all buried in a screen usually, whether Mm -hmm. it's for work, Mm -hmm. just general like time passing. Like, I mean, we're all on social media. And so that could be contributing to your child's behavior because you're like, you know, tunnel vision it's into like whatever separation screen you're anxiety, looking at. Even if you're together, yeah, like not getting that attention, which could then eventually create some of those feelings. And as you're talking, I'm kind of just like thinking about my own behaviors and <laughs> all then the times you did the beha- that. <laughs> yeah, all the times that I ignore my children. Um, <laughs> and then I'm like, "What do you mean you feel alone? Yeah. Get over it. <laughs> Get over it. What's wrong with you? Something's wrong with you. No, I'm just yeah. kidding. Yeah. <laughs> I'm yeah, this kidding. is a funny." Um, adding a little levity to the conversation but no I mean truthfully like I am thinking about like some of my own behaviors and how some of what I'm doing could be teaching them different Mm -hmm. behaviors in themselves and ways to get my attention if they're not getting it the way they want where then I would look to them be like whoa why are you freaking out like why are you being so crazy and thinking oh god like what's wrong but really there's nothing wrong at all it's I'm being kind of absent in those moments potentially. Um, and I that is something that people are asking about too is just like in COVID because mm-hmm. like obviously everybody's behaviors have changed a little bit. I think mm-hmm. we're all a little bit more irritable. We're all a little mm-hmm. bit like frustrated, kind of freaked out because this is a mm-hmm. situation where like it has no end date. We don't have a definitive like – and on this day, it's over, and everyone goes yeah. back to normal. Like we don't know when we're going to we stop have no wearing masks. We don't of ourselves. Yeah, and like we can't get our own break from them. And we're all even more fo- more so on the phones and screens. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Sure. And that's why I was thinking that because I'm like, I'm bored. Truthfully, I'm super bored. If I'm bored, they're bored, right? Yeah. So yeah, especially they're bored. Yeah. <laughs> have you noticed an influx in? people reaching out for your services in this past year because of COVID and maybe parents thinking like some of the behaviors that they're seeing in their children are just this is what they're behaving like or and finding out that really it's just kind of like a symptom of coronavirus like not Mm -hmm. the actual (laughs) disease but just like the Mm -hmm. situation that we're in. I mean, yeah, I definitely think there's been a little bit of a change in some of the behaviors we're seeing. I mean, kids, like, they thrive off routine. And I know parents probably, some might be like, I don't know. But I'm like, no, thrive. I like, agree. They, they do so well with structure. They do so well with routine and that predictability. And 2020 and 2021 has been anything but predictable. So I definitely think that that has definitely thrown a wrench in a lot of, you know, the way people have been able to cope, parents and children alike. So Definitely we have seen those kind of behaviors come up a lot more and a lot, a lot more in parents just being like, just exhausted and done and frustrated and being like, I just, I don't know what else to do because their kids are trying to understand this. And like, as an adult, it's so hard to understand. Like, how are you going to try to make a kid understand that you can't see your friends anymore? You can't go play. Like you're staying home for school, you know, like it just, it keeps changing and keeps evolving. So I think everybody's trying 
to figure out how to manage and there's there's no right way in doing it at this point so we've definitely seen an influx and in support in that ways of like what's some more strategies what's some more tips mm-hmm. like how can I support them better how can I support myself better so yeah we've definitely I would say for sure that's been an, an increase and a change do you anticipate like I guess a backlash or like a, a repercussion of this isolation this one year home hopefully not much more than one year but do you anticipate like some mental health like i guess more mental health issues yeah or like like something happening where it's like a clear indication in society like oh that's like that's a result of coronavirus yeah I mean, I I definitely think there's going to be some more adaption and more change coming our way. Like we're going to have to adapt back into being socialized, like sociable with people and getting back into a routine. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I definitely think there's going to be more change, more um, routine shifting that's going to have to happen. Um, It's hard to say whether or not there'll be like long term effects of this. I mean, I'm sure there will. I mean, isolation is hard. You know, it's, it's hard on everyone. But it, you can't really say like what it will be. I mean, the stats of mental health are always changing. So it's so hard to kind of put a number on it and say like, this is what's going to change or this isn't like it's always evolving. But I think there will be different ways that we're going to have to learn to manage and cope coming out of COVID. Yeah. For the sure. reason I ask is because and I know this is like a very dramatic example but you know when you're in prison mm-hmm. and you go into solitary confinement and clearly <laughs> yes i i personally know when i was in prison you guys in remember when you went there <laughs> remember but that time yeah that's a clear you know for those people that go in there for long term that's a clear yeah. like okay she's now come out like fucked up from it you know what i mean like they definitely mm-hmm. have a, an altered mental mm-hmm. everything mental state everything so like that's i know that's very dramatic but i'm wondering yeah. if, like, i feel like, like that this. is not that's apples to oranges in solitary but is literally it literally solitary yeah. in the dark it's different but and i can dirty s- and cold <laughs> i know it's different and i know you're also in prison but and like, you're don't also you guys feel in <laughs> you're also in prison you're also probably a criminal but like don't you guys yeah. feel that we have gone through i know i'm like so low and i know it's not just normal yeah. like seasonal affective disorder i can't even yeah. go play my hobbies my sports like mm-hmm. i'm missing so much i know that it's mm-hmm. got to have an effect yeah no if it, it, it for sure is like i said like i think we're trying to find a new way to cope and manage yeah. right now in this lockdown and in this, you know, confinement. Yeah. Um, but solitary. I think, yeah, but you, sol- wouldn't, you wouldn't equate that to us now being equipped I, I to solitary? The same. No, I wouldn't exactly say it's the same thing. Okay, fair. Because it's um, not think, at all. I do think, yeah, well, I do think we'll have off. some bumps. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I definitely think there's going to be some bumps in and curves and turns along the way coming out that we're going to, again, we're going to have to adapt again and we're going to have to learn how to be sociable again and how to act a certain way, you know, with people and how to share our emotions and how to share our thoughts in the right way again. Um, because you know, we feel safest with our families who we've been kind of around. So we might be expressing ourselves in different ways. So we have, so that's something that I want to add on to because we have two, uh, listener questions that kind of relate to that. So one is, in terms of socializing, mm-hmm. um, will children struggle with like social cues at all? Because and reading social cues because they've seen people behind a mask for so long, and we don't know how much longer that's going to go. So, mm-hmm. you know, in a any other year prior to twenty twenty, 
you mm-hmm. see people's whole faces. You see their eyes, their mouth, everything, all the animations that work together mm-hmm. when they're making whatever expression, which you can read usually, right? And there's mm-hmm. children that are starting kindergarten and starting school that have only been home with their parents, really haven't seen anybody else. Mm-hmm. And those that maybe they have seen have been behind a mask. Like, is mm-hmm. that something that parents should have a you know is there like tools to help with that is this a concern that you feel children need like special support for Mm. I mean children for for sure can miss social cues and that is definitely a struggle a child can deal with or socialization in general um yeah that's like there are definitely there are programs for early onset like for kids who are younger um and it is it's around like socialization social cues and how to like better be able to express ourselves so there are supports out there for that if parents are looking for that for kids of a younger age but I mean yeah I think that's for sure going to play into it a little bit I mean kids even that I see like are missing social cues and it's it could be for lots of different reasons, whether or not they haven't been around it or whether or not when they have been exposed to it, they've witnessed diff- people react in different ways, right? Like, again, I think it goes back a lot to that modeling um, around how what they've seen and how they've been kind of like programmed, for lack of a better word, to respond to those social cues. I mean, right now with lockdown, it's hard to socialize, of course, because we're told to keep six feet. We're not supposed to engage. So I think if parents can still, you know, set up play dates, whether it be like outside, you know, and you can be a little further away so then they can still see the faces or, you know, on FaceTime, like have those play dates so that kids can still have that interaction and still have those moments and those learning opportunities. Yeah, I think that is super important. I worry about like the the one-year-olds or something who this is their mm-hmm. first year of life. Like this is where they are learning mm-hmm. and they're just not getting the information or the... Mm-hmm. They're not getting the education. Yeah. I mean, yeah, kids are super resilient. Yeah. Like, it, it it blows my mind every day, like, how resilient kids after. are. And, yeah, they, they adapt. They'll learn. I mean, all we can do in, right now is, you know, try to provide them with those um, cues and, you know, get those expressions and help them see them in different ways. And, I mean, there's lots of ways you can do it through video. You can do it through books. You can do it through people, FaceTime. Um, there's lots of resources online that you can also consult. So I think like, yes, it's, it, it might impact. It might have a small impact. They may not, it might come out as quick, but hopefully also we're not going to be in this for the next like five years. Oh my God. Don't yeah. even so, say that. So you know that. what I mean? Like hopefully, yeah. And even though we, we have been isolated, like we are still like, thank God this happened now with technology yeah. where you can like have those FaceTime conversations. You can go outside and I mean the summer was better for that where they can socialize it can be around and it's not as much of that fear um but yeah I mean that's a valid thing that parents have to worry about like have as a worry um and I would just say yeah like try to set up as many like play dates have those interactions like you can express so much through your eyes right like that's why whenever we say like when someone's talking to you look in their eyes because so much comes through that you know and a lot of it is about expression for sure, but social cues is also about like learning when we should share our thought and when we shouldn't share our thought or, you know, what's appropriate to say to a person and what's not. And you can still do a lot of that yeah. Um, yeah. through friends and family and, you know, TV shows like media. Like, you know, if you're seeing something on TV, it could be a great opportunity to be like, okay, so what would you have said to that, to that kid on TV instead? Like, that didn't seem very nice what that kid said. What would you have said? And it's a great teaching opportunity right there. Yeah, so utilize things that as tools because 
normally they'd just be learning that on their own experience, but so they're not yeah. having that. Okay, that's a really good idea. And I, it's nice to hear that they probably will not be like stunted forever because of this and hopefully we will recover accordingly. <laughs> Yeah, I think we'll, we'll we'll get through it, guys. We'll get through it. I love how you're well, so positive. Well, it's funny that you mention resilience because that was a common slash question that um, we received also was, are kids really so resilient or are their feelings just suppressed that, will ma- that, that they will manifest into issues as adults? So that's, so, the, I mean, that's I, a hard one. That's interesting to think about. But how do you answer because we've never been yeah, through how a do you know? before. <laughs> like never been yeah, through this. Like, I don't know if it's just related to COVID, but it, mm-hmm. in general, the person was saying like, you always hear kids are so resilient. Kids bounce back. Kids literally bounce. Um, yeah. <laughs> they'll yeah. get right back up. No, it's mm-hmm. true. But then there's so many deep-seated childhood issues that we experience. And mm-hmm. I put that in air quotes, but I understand like that's where they come from. But yeah, if they're mm-hmm. so resilient, then why are we all so fucked up as adults? <laughs> So I think the idea of resilience also comes, resilience doesn't just necessarily mean like, you know, you like nothing happened, like, or you bounce back. Like resilience also talks about working through what might've been trauma or might've been, you know, mental health or whatever it may be. And you worked through it and you've become a stronger person because of it. So when I say kids are so resilient, I mean, kids kids can get through a lot. And if they have that support and if they have the people around them offering to give them that support, they can do it. I think one of the biggest things is a lot of the time kids aren't asked, what do you need? It's assumed what they need. You know, parents are like, oh, you need this. Or our teacher's like, oh, you need that. But a lot of times kids aren't asked, like, what do you need right now? You know, what are you feeling? What's going inside? What's going on inside of you? How can I support you? Because a kid may be like, you know what? I need space right now. Like, I don't need you coming and trying to hug me or I do need a hug right now. Please don't just give me space or I need you to acknowledge, you know, that I'm, I'm upset right now. And so I think, yes, we do need to address what happens with the kids and we do need to support them and we do need to help them get through it. And then through that process, that is how they become more resilient. So yeah, I don't, I don't think we need, we should be suppressing those childhood traumas or we should be pushing them down because again, then that's also teaching them that that's not the healthy way to express your emotion. It's, there's nothing wrong with being angry. There's, there's nothing wrong with being sad. There's nothing wrong with feeling these deep, hard feelings, but we need to learn how to express them in a in the right way in an appropriate way and ask them I like how you said ask them what they need because I've even done this Mm -hmm. with my nephew who's two right so obviously his Mm -hmm. communication is is limited as as a (laughs) two-year-old is but there are times when he's like crying or freaking out it's like what do you need and then it kind of stops them they're like what do I need so it kind of like puts it in perspective for them too and it's like well actually I'm I don't need anything or like you know I just want a drink like something small and then it kind of yeah, stops that. I'm hungry yeah. like yeah and they yeah. and they you know it, it we all know as adults how hard sometimes it is to communicate obviously when we're talking with kids it's not like you know complicated a complicated level of communication but sometimes it is hard to just express that and like something might be bothering I noticed me something might be bothering me and next thing you know I'm like yelling about it about something else you know what I mean yeah. like yeah deflecting communication is hard sometimes (laughs) communication is hard and that's that's another you know great point you bring up that communication doesn't always have to be verbal you know if your child responds better through through drawing like okay draw me a picture of how you're feeling right now and then they might be able to illustrate it to you and then they can explain what their photo is or you know 
write it down if they really like journaling, you know, when they get to that age, like, okay, write down what you're feeling and here can be your book where you write down your feelings. It doesn't always need to be them verbally saying to you what it is as long as they're expressing it in a constructive, proactive manner. Yeah, we put so much pressure on our children and I I mean, in the back of my mind, I kind of just already, I already knew that. But when you talk to somebody in your profession, it just puts mm-hmm. so much more into perspective because <laughs> very rarely do I see parents say, what do you need? And me mm-hmm. included, I do definitely assume what they need because coming from the mom point of view is like, I'm your mom. I know what's the best for you. I know what you <laughs> yeah. need. I know what you want. I know what to do. But I don't, obviously, all the time. And I may be suggesting or assuming the wrong thing. And then that just creates more frustration and struggles and lack of communication because they're trying to say one thing and I'm saying the other thing. And Mm -hmm. we're just not connecting. We're colliding instead. So it's a really good reminder because I do think all parents, at the end of the day, do really know that. But it's a good reminder to just stop for a second and be like, what do you need? Like, Mm -hmm. tell me. And the tip of draw it or write it like that is not Mm -hmm. something that personally I often would think about well and why does it have to be like only sought out when there is a problem like we go to doctors once a year for a checkup uh, even when we're not sick or anything so why wouldn't we Mm -hmm. do something like that with mental health we should work to normalize that Yeah, I mean, I definitely think like there there are great resources like Kids Help Phone out there. So like if you know if your if your child does just want to talk to someone, you know, one someone day that else, isn't their parent, right? yeah. So, yeah, that isn't the caregiver. Like, there's absolutely no shame in that of being like, yeah, you know what? Here you go. You can text. I mean, kids have phones at such young ages now. You can text. You can call, and there you go. Talk to someone for sure. Like, go for it. Or you know, there's even resources online that really helps. Um, Parents just start dialogue. Like again, um, Kids Help Phone has some great ways just to start tough conversations that can be around checking in. I think again, a lot of the time there's this idea that we shouldn't share our emotions or that it's, you know, this big scary place. And yeah, it's vulnerable. It's hard work, but checking in and being like, how are you? How is like your head? How are you feeling? That is kind of doing your little like doctor's appointment yeah. and check-in because a lot can come from that. Or even if we knew like a question like, I don't know, like a a probing question that could get them to answer things. Like instead of being like, how are you? Which forces them to answer. Ask mm-hmm. like, I don't know, like, I don't know. I can't even think of what it would be, but something that would probe them to give an answer. You know what I mean? Does that make sense at all? Mm-hmm. No, yeah, for sure. Probing questions are my favorite thing. Um, <laughs> it's kind of. Good thing you're in the like, line the, of work I, you're in. <laughs> Yeah, no, you got to kind of start with a question. Um, So it it could be like, you know, how was your week or, you know. um, Something that could prompt. I I know it's tough, but something that could prompt them to give an answer. um, Whereas like, how are you might not prompt them to answer when you're looking for like when you're doing a mental health check in, not just like in general, but like, you know, once in a while, if you're looking to check in with your kids and make sure everything's good with them. Even before something's I mean, gone on. 
Yeah, I mean, you could do a nice way to check in with thoughts. Like, tell me one really good thought you've had this week or tell me one good thing from this week. Tell me one hard thing from this week. Right. And then from there, you could post, okay, what was the hard thing? Oh, you know, I got in a fight with, with Jessica. Oh, okay, well, what happened in that, that fight? Jessica's oh, she said I didn't like her. <laughs> yeah, you know, Jessica said, how does that make you feel when Jessica said that? Yeah, I was pissed, you know? So it's starting with like a hard thing and a good thing. You can do it for the day, for the week, and then yeah. you're going to hear both each ends of it and then you can probe further right. from there without just being like okay how are you yeah. yeah yeah I think it's important to stay away from the one word questions right how was your day good like because mm-hmm. I I do that with my kids sometimes and they they'll they, it's an automatic response good they're, they're not thinking about it they just think that that's what they're supposed to say this is my theory on it so I yeah, do I have to right. say like what did you do in class today? Like how they ha- where they have to kind of formulate an answer and it's not this autopilot response. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And but that is hard because I, I generally mean like, how was your day? Like yeah. tell yeah. me about it. But So you could I- say like what was one good thing about your day? Yeah. And then that will probe them to actually share the good and thing. Or it's like, it. what was one thing you wish you could have changed from today? Or what was one thing, you know, you didn't like about today? And then those can open to bigger conversations. But this is a societal cue. So when you are in public and someone's like, oh, hey, how are you doing? You would never be like, oh, fuck, you know, I'm not good. This happened. Like when you're like with an acquaintance, you'd always be like, I'm good. How are you? So it's funny. Like, do we teach our kids to be really honest or do we teach them to be like societally appropriate? I think it's also about like being specific. So like I think as <laughs> time and place. <laughs> we, yeah, like you need to be very specific. And like I say this to parents all the time, especially with like giving directions. They'll be like, I just want my kid to pick up their, their shoe and put it in the bin. And I'm like, so your direction needs to be, I need you to pick up your shoe and put it in the bin. Not I need you to go clean up your shoes. Because that leaves so much interpretation right. of what cleaning up the shoe means. So I think it's about being very specific with what you want to ask, what answer you're trying to get from them, or even just like what direction you're trying to give or, you know, what what behavior you want them to start doing. So it, it's very much about being specific with it and maybe sometimes asking the question or sometimes giving the direction depending on what it is. I love that. So there's a couple of things here. With Just going back to the kid's help phone. First of all, I didn't actually realize it's a help phone that's sort of available to parents also i really thought that that was like a crisis like line so so it's for kids so like a a parent wouldn't text in but no like a kid can just call like on an off day and be like hey like i really need to talk to someone oh they can talk to them yeah and i so my understanding of it was more that it's just like a crisis like unfortunately it's a child being like suicidal that's when they call so i'm i'm really happy to know that because yeah I think also the other thing when you had said, you know, they can just call the kid's help phone and chat with someone and talk to somebody else. For parents, the thought of your child not wanting to talk to you is terrifying because mm-hmm. it's like, well, why? Immediately, why? What has happened? What What is so in your mind goes bad right away? Like what is so mm-hmm. bad that you can't tell me what has happened mm-hmm to you or what have you done like it's but is it more terrifying from, than thinking that they have no one to talk to you know what I've never been in the situation I'm just sort of like predicting my response mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. it would be more I think because I am I consider myself a fairly rational person so I would say 
okay. Like, if you want to talk to somebody, absolutely. If you feel, and I've said that to my oldest before, just like having, you know, we've had some off days. And I've said, if you don't want to talk to mom or dad, like, there are other people. You can call Nana. You can call, like, so yeah. I, I mean, I'm open to that. But I think when you hear something like, oh, well, I just want to call kids help phone. There's this association in a parent's mind where it'd be like, oh, my God, why? Like, mm-hmm. that's what, that's a big deal. Yeah. Um, so it's good to normalize that and talk about that. And I don't know what other people know of Kids Help Phone, if other parents are aware that it is kind of just like a friend, someone but, else to chat to. It's not just Kids Helpline. Yeah. We have like, um, so we have adult helplines as well that people, mm-hmm. so I worked for one for five years. It was a suicide hotline, but very rarely mm-hmm. did I get actual suicide callers, people in the process of killing mm-hmm. themselves. It was more about talking. And yeah. they, these people had family. These people had friends. These people, some of them did, some didn't. Um, but, yeah. you know, sometimes talking to somebody else. And I'm like, I'm not a therapist, but I obviously was trained. But, you know, just somebody else basically yeah. is helpful. Yeah. I think, Lauren, you make a good point because I think a lot of the time this kind of talks to like parents' own anxieties and parents' own expectations. And I think sometimes like as parents, you're going to, it's natural. Like you're going to want your kid to want to tell you everything. You're going to want your kid to do that. But then it's like, okay, wait, let's stop and think. Like, did you want to tell your parents mm-hmm. everything? Like, did you want, mm-hmm. and there's nothing wrong with that, but it's your anxieties. If, if you have this anxiety and then your kid feels it, they might might be like, oh my God, if I do talk to someone, mom's going to get mad or, you know, so we want to be really careful about how also as, as a caregiver, you're not taking your own anxieties and putting it on to the child. Yeah. That's true. And I'm glad to have this conversation so I can put that in my toolbox, so to speak, for the future if I ever need it. And it's so funny to think about your parents and then yourself as a parent. (laughs) I know neither of you are, but as for me, it's, it's like you forgot all of the way you felt as a child, an adolescent, Mm -hmm. a young adult, all of those things. It's gone. It was wiped from your memory. And now you are completely in the mind frame of how my parents must have felt. And and then I put that expectation on my children to be like, well, you need to talk to me and you need to do this and you need to do that. Whereas, yeah, if I stop for a second and think like, well, hell no, did I want to talk to my parents about X, Y, Z. They're the last person, last people you'd go to. They're literally the last person. And not because I didn't think I could. I just didn't want to. But then as an adult, I've spoken to a therapist. I've spoken to a counselor. And I purposely chose to speak to them as opposed to Mm -hmm. a friend or a family member because I just wanted that neutral party. And it's it's silly And there's no shame in that. Absolutely not. And this is where like the disconnects happen. And this, mm-hmm. Like, it's silly to think that why wouldn't children or young adults, adolescents, whatever age you're at, sometimes just want that same thing where they don't know you. They're just literally there to listen. There's no judgment. There's no, like, history. Exactly. So it's, it is a conversation that definitely needs to be normalized more and spoken about more that mm-hmm. there are resources and it's not because there's something wrong. It's just sometimes mm-hmm. you just want to. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I think it's really important that we let kids know that there's other resources and other options out there if they're not feeling, you know, in that moment that their caregiver parent is who they kind of want to connect with or who they want to talk with and that that's okay, but that you are always there, you know, like we are here if you do want to. And sometimes it's even just a matter of them maybe needing to find 
a way to share what they're feeling with you. And maybe this third party can help them do that. Like better explain what's going on in their head or better explain what they're feeling because maybe it's Mm -hmm. associated with you. Maybe it's associated like with a friend or with another family member. And so it's, it's harder to share those conversations. Totally. Absolutely. And that's a really good point that they could offer support for the child to help open the doors for communication with their parents or caregiver. Okay. So Here's a big one. I know this is probably a tricky question for you, mm-hmm. um, but I think this is on a lot of parents' minds right now because for okay. in Ontario anyway, a lot of regions have opened up and um, pe- kids are going back to school and most mm-hmm. parents are like, yes, go back to school. I need you out <laughs> of the house. Um, but yes. I think one of the things that they're going to deal with big time, and this may affect the teachers too, is just separation anxiety from being home with your mommy or daddy Mm -hmm. for a year like that and then and not just being home with your parents but like then also not seeing anybody else really Mm -hmm. in the way you used to anyway like how is there is there any kind of like general tips that you can give on how to help your child and both you the parent caregiver and child cope with that separation anxiety that they may experience Yeah, for sure. I mean, first things like obviously different age groups, different strategies are going to need to be used just because of where they are developmentally um, and what that separation might mean for them. Um, But generally, I think one of the most important things that first and foremost needs to be done is to validate what they're feeling. So validate the fact that, yeah, you know what? you that must that might be scary you know going back to school after not seeing your friends or your teachers or you know validate them in whatever it is that they're feeling scare fear anger happiness whatever it may be and letting them know that it's okay because one of the biggest things about anxiety is I think a lot of parents their need is to try to take it away and in trying to take away the anxiety you're actually not helping your child learn how to cope with that feeling because anxiety is never gonna disappear For someone who is anxious, there's there's no cure. It's not something that just like is going to go away one day. What happens is that we learn strategies so that we can get through those moments of what we're scared of and see that we're going to be okay on the other side. So as a parent, that's what you want to do for them. So if they're worried about separating for you, you know, maybe on the weekend, the weekend before, you know, sit down and be like, okay, let's plan. What can we do so that you feel a little bit better going back to school? So it's maybe like, okay, the morning of, you know, we're going to get up together. We're going to have a breakfast together, you know. We're going to listen to your favorite song in the car, whatever it may be. Plan for how they're going to be okay getting there. Then even plan about what they can do in the moment at school, okay? If you're starting to get, you know, really sad, who can you go to? Who can you go talk to? You know, I can go to my teacher. I can tell her that I'm having a hard time and that, Maybe I need a break or I need to get a drink of water or maybe they can, I mean, I don't know what they can and cannot bring into the schools right now, but you know, if they can bring a book in, like maybe you can like draw a picture of what you, what you thought we could be doing in that moment or whatever it may be. So I think it's a lot about planning for them and letting them know that it's like, it's okay to feel what you're feeling. How are we going to help you get through that feeling? And then, you know, there could be that thing of when they come home, instead of going right to homework, let's have 30 minutes, just me and you time that one-on-one quality time. Because I think again, with COVID, that's been a huge miss with a lot of parents just because like they're working from home, your kids are at home. So now you're a teacher, you're a caregiver, you're your own job. And that quality time that you might've used to have with your kids isn't necessarily happening. You're like, yeah, I'm with them all day. For sure you are, but you're being a teacher. You're being the parent, you're being a homework person, but you're not having that quality time with your child. And that's probably what they're, what they're seeking. Right. 
Oh, yeah, it was definitely quantity over quality for a, a lot of it because by the time the day is done, everybody kind of doesn't even want to look at each other because <laughs> mm-hmm. it's like, oh, my God, I've seen you so much. Like, it's too much togetherness. But, yeah, yeah going yeah. back to school and changing that whole, like, routine that you got used to, that would certainly be scary for a lot of kids. I know my youngest didn't want to go to school today, which he had been for a week, but coming off a long weekend, he yeah. was very, like, mummy, mummy, mummy. And that's not – too typical for him he's very like Mm -hmm. can't wait to get to school wants to see his friends wants to play in fact he hates getting picked up because he's in the (laughs) yard and doing like playing with all his buddies so he doesn't like getting picked up too early what about when he he got picked up today was he like that well so what the way we kind of coped with that because and i this is something that i noticed in my with my children is more my younger one my older he was like Jax was okay but like with Cole he was expressing like more anger and frustration quicker with things um Mm -hmm. and becoming much more dependent on like wanting a phone and like tv and because for sure like I worked from home so did my husband if he wasn't out on the road and it was very like okay just go on the phone for a bit or go to the like I had no choice to in all honesty like most like many parents um but yeah so one of the things we've done is and obviously isn't an option for everybody but because my oldest son can pick up Cole and bring him home from school we let him Cole gets out early Jax gets out you know 10 minutes later they get their time to kind of just like play in the schoolyard and walk home together I do then go pick them up after I know they're probably started walking just because I don't know I like to you just like (laughs) Yeah, exactly. But that gives Cole his time to kind of like get the rest of that like energy out. Know he's getting that time that he wanted with his friends. And when he's like walking home, he's ready to come home at that point. When we go and get him, like right when the bell rings, he was getting really frustrated because he was feeling like I wasn't done. I wasn't done. And I get that because he hasn't seen anybody his age really on a regular basis for a year. So to me, it's like, that is you kind of getting back into it and feeling like you're getting what you need. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's great. And it's good that you're like stocking the toolbox. That's something that my therapist always said, like to get through anxiety, yeah. you got to you got to like fill your toolbox up with with coping mechanisms. And that was essentially yep. how I was able to cope with like a lot of things. Kids would be the very same and obviously have different. Yep. Actually, probably a lot of the same tools to be honest you know a lot of the same tools breathing, yeah probably like calming down yeah um and actually deep breathing is Challenging one that thoughts. is like literally instantaneously a fix i i find yeah so i don't know i how feel that like that is helpful with like anything and it's yeah. sometimes hard to remember to do it right but like, it is I that's will the start problem getting angry or frustrated or whatever just whatever happened in the day mm-hmm. and i will just kind of like take those breaths and i'm like Okay, Very well, actually instantly feel like fixed. Yeah, your mentality <laughs> like now. And again, yeah, and again, it goes back to that modeling. Like, if your kids see you do that, then when you prompt them to be like, "Let's just take a deep breath," they're gonna be like, "Okay, mom does it." Like, it works for mom. 
Um, so that's a good one. Another great tip for um, anxiety can be grounding. So if you're noticing that your kid is getting really anxious, like just being like, you know, tell me five red things in the room. And then it will like kind of move them or, and we do this a lot for panic attacks as well. Like tell me three red things or yellow things. I think I just said red, um, but it just brings their focus back to where they are instead of where they are in their mind. And those are easy. So a lot of it is needing to focus on something like giving them that ability to refocus initially. In like, if you're, if you're being anxious. Yeah. So it's about like bringing them just kind of back down to a calmer state so that they can then work through the anxious moment. Because we don't want to like necessarily redirect them away from it because then again, we're avoiding it's never gonna go away. the, it's never going to go away. So what we're going to do is we want to, if they're getting super anxious, like to the point where they're getting worked up, we need to calm them. That's what the deep breath is. And then in that moment next, we'd be like, okay, how can we get through this? So if it was like, I don't know, if they're super anxious about going to a birthday party because maybe they don't like socializing with all kids and you're getting ready to leave. They're like, I don't want to go. I don't want to go. I don't want to go. Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. You know, okay, let's take a deep breath. Okay. You know what? The first step, let's just go to the car. We're going to go to the car. We're going to sit in the car. Okay. What's give me one good thing that might happen at the birth party. I get to eat cake. Great. We're going to look forward to the cake. What what color, what kind is cake or whatever. So it's just about making them get through that moment and them seeing I did it. Mm -hmm. Like I I got through it so I can get through it again. And that's what anxiety is. Yeah. Yeah. It Mm -hmm. makes it, it it takes it from a big momentous issue. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Breaks it down. Bunch of tiny little events instead of one huge event. Yeah. And everything that you've said here has been, like, super helpful. Like, I'm kind of stealing some of these kids' tips for myself. <laughs> so I do yeah, appreciate that. Uh, Laura, do we have any more questions for Kayla? No, I think that is it. I mean, questions would be endless. Um, of course. When you're talking yeah. to somebody in the mental health world. Um, yeah. So we, we'll definitely have to have you back on and go over a whole Love other – scenarios and outside of COVID because I know we kind of were wanting to focus a little bit on just like coping with COVID and we did get Um, so much feedback so I know that uh, our listeners would love to hear you know just everyday you know tips and information from you Yeah, yeah, I love it. Definitely. I would happily come back. It was a blast. I mean, the thing that I take away a lot from this is from the parents' perspective is like sometimes I need to just kind of like stop and like think for a minute, kind of put myself in my child's shoes instead of like putting my reactions or what I would do or want them to do onto them, like that projection scenario mm-hmm. because it's so hard mm-hmm. for parents to kind of like – leave the parent perspective and go into the kid's perspective. And well, it's hard it's, to like alter any perspective at any time. Like, absolutely. When you're on track of something, yeah. it's hard to stop. That's where the breaths come in. That's what's – that's yeah. Like, yeah. so helpful. Yeah, like it definitely – like when a parent wants something done, they're just like, do I it. don't understand the block. Yes, like please do it. But then as you start escalating, the child's going to start escalating. So I think being able to be as a parent – and again, this goes back to what we talked about with the kids, but labeling it for yourself. Okay, like I'm getting mad. I'm getting hot. I'm getting sweaty. Like check into your own body cues. Like, okay, I'm, why am I getting mad right now? Let me take a deep breath. Let me take space. Go get a drink of water. Go walk away for a minute. Come back and then you approach it from a place of calm. And again, use your different strategies. Like there's so many different strategies I could throw out there for so many different um, tasks you want done or whatever it is you're approaching. But 
at the end of the day, if you yell and scream to get your child to do something, they're going to yell and scream back at you to why they don't want to do it. Yeah, this is super, super important. Like I said earlier, like this was such a good reminder to just kind of be like, check yourself also as a parent. Like Mm -hmm. exactly, if I'm screaming at my kid, why would I expect any different in response? And this is something that parents should kind of, I don't know how often and maybe some parents need it more than others. I mean, I will admit, like, I need this sometimes. Like, I'm not mom of the year all the time. That's for sure. Like, I get frustrated. I get angry. And this conversation to me is super, super important right now because we're all at all of the heightened levels of every feeling and emotion that we Mm -hmm. can have, right? So it is good to just kind of, like, A, validate our own emotions, validate our children's emotions, and just, like, Mm -hmm. have these little checkpoints of we're all human. We should all be operating kind of the same way. And, again, for myself, like, stop projecting onto my kids because then I ask, like, myself, like, why are they screaming at me? Why are they answering like that? Why do they have that tone? I'm like, oh, because I gave all of that to them. That's why. (laughs) Obviously. And you're Um, the adult. I mean, being – and I'm the yeah. adult. I and I know that. There's many nights I go to bed and I'm like, today I was a shit parent. Like Okay, but also don't be hard you know on what? yourself. Shit moment. No, I you Jeff, know what? You but said I it. Do like, say I'm being human. a parent's hard. Yeah. Yeah, being a parent is hard. And I say that to my parents all the time. I'm like, you're doing what you can if you're advocating for your child, if you're being there for your child, if you're trying to get the support they need or supporting them yourself, you're doing a great job. There's so many opinions out there. There's so much shit going on. There's a judgment. There's everything. There's everything. If you know you're operating mm-hmm. from love, that's the that's all you need. Like, obviously, like, you know, be good, too. But like, if you yeah. know you're operating from love, we you're all on know the right what track. right and wrong yeah. is for yeah. sure. We, yeah. we know what yeah. you really shouldn't be doing. Yeah. But yes, I do. I do have those conversations with myself in bed. But I also then say, you are a human, just like your yeah. children like you're yeah, you are a mm-hmm. rational have your, person so you are moments. navigating you navigate well through this shit like <laughs> i know that you would i know you wouldn't sit there and be like what the fuck lauren but you know I, I bet you a lot of people would that a lot of people are not rational like you i'm i'm not i don't like i'm emotional so i probably would do that you know what i mean i'm sure a lot of people yeah. would so take it easy it, on i mean yourselves. but it's, it's learned too i've had to train yeah. myself and learn those things it, it, it hasn't always come natural so it is just having those like yeah. conversations with yourself yeah and like everything you do with your kids do with yourself like check in on your thoughts like are you having a lot more negative thoughts how can you challenge them check in on your feelings how are you feeling like I tell all my parents you need to take some self-care whether it's like 10 minutes in the washroom sitting there like you can't crying help them the if you can't yeah. <laughs> if it's crying like let it out it's yeah you you need it and you need to check in on yourself because if if you're not taking care of yourself you can't take care of anyone else and i absolutely love that point to wrap up i think that Mm -hmm. if we can take anything from this guys it's self-care and put the life vest on first so you can help out those around you so thank you so much for everything today thank you yeah thank you guys thanks for having me so helpful and informative and i think our listeners will get a lot out of this episode so to help them get even more can you share some resources maybe where they can find you if you're um on social or if there's somewhere they should go instead yeah so unfortunately i'm not on social just due to client reasons um to search us but definitely i would definitely say check out the kids help phone website as well as sick kids has a great mental health resource area perfect awesome that's great. Mm-hmm. And as always, you can follow us at Herspective underscore podcast on Instagram. And if you have any questions or want more information 
we can certainly help out with that too. So thank you again, Kayla. This was absolutely amazing. And I think we'll definitely be chatting with you again. <laughs> Sounds great. Can't wait. Thanks, guys. Thank, thank you. you. Bye. Bye.